Good morning. Welcome to Wanda's Ticks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we're listening to uh, Hold On by the uh, Sounds of Blackness. And we're going to be talking about a program today, Veterans Healing Veterans, which we talked a little bit about um, on uh, November 10th, about a month ago, uh, a program of the uh, Veterans Transition Center in Monterey County. But we are really excited to just devote a whole program to this wonderful program that was founded by Ron Self, who is on the air with us. Good morning, Ron. Good morning. We're also joined by Jenny uh, Nestler, um, who is uh, Veterans Healing Veterans Operations Manager. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. And Jenny is returning. She was on the show a month ago. And we're also joined by um, Bobby Emery, uh, also of Veterans Healing Veterans. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning. And uh, and we're also joined by Alex or Alejandra uh, Saldana, Saldana. Um, is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Glad to have you. You're a case worker at Veterans Healing. Uh, oh no, at the VTC and also Veterans Healing Veterans. You can tell us sort of your role yes. and what you do in a minute. And I think um, I think we just been joined by Marcus uh, Blevins. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Well, how's everyone? Oh, morning. hi. Is this Craig? <clears throat> uh, no, this is Marcus. Can you guys hear me? Oh, oh yeah, I, I hear you now. You're kind of low. <laughs> oh. Do you have your coffee yet? <laughs> I think I may have made it a little too strong. <laughs> okay, so we have Marcus, and he is the curator of this wonderful panel. We have some other folks that are going to be joining us. Um, but first, um, maybe maybe we could start start with you, Marcus, since um, you're the last person whose name I mentioned, and maybe you could um, uh, sort of uh, tell us sort of how you came to know this wonderful program, and then um, then we could uh, go to Ron so he could tell us what is Veterans Healing Veterans and a little bit about himself. Uh, sure. Um, uh, my name is uh, Marcus Levins. I served three years in the U.S. Army from 1975 to 1978 and worked as a helicopter mechanic during my period of enlistment. Um, after honorably discharging from the Army, I worked as an aircraft mechanic and held various positions of employment in the private and public sector until I started using uh, crack cocaine in 1983. And it wasn't long afterwards that I spiraled into a tangled web of dysfunction and eventually criminality. Um, in 1994, I was sentenced as a recidivist offender under the three strikes law to a term of 40 years of life for committing property crimes, various property crimes. And then I served the majority of my life sentence from 2001 to 2016 at Folsom State Prison and then landed uh, at my final destination within the California penal system at San Quentin in November of 2016. Um, uh, it was there uh, that I uh, <clears throat> learned of and eventually applied for and was accepted for admission to the Veterans Transition Center of Monterey County after meeting Ron Self uh, for a second time. 
uh, prior to that, Ron and I knew of each other from our serving time at Folsom State Prison. Um, my initial parole suitability hearing was held in May of 2020 at San Quentin, and the, the Board of Parole hearings found me suitable and directed that I be paroled to the Veterans Transition Center of Monterey County. Um, uh, in response to, at the time of my uh, my um, um, being found suitable, um, there was a outbreak, uh, COVID-19 outbreak at San Quentin, and then I was uh, uh, expedited uh, um, to the to society uh, by spending a 10-day quarantine in a hotel room in Pacific Grove, which is near the Veterans Transition Center. And after the period of quarantine, I was delivered to the custody of the fine men and women of the Veterans Transition Center of Monterey County and eventual freedom. So at the current time, I'm not on parole. I'm under no supervision, and I have no restrictions. And, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that's pretty much uh, my story for, for as far by way of introduction. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, and thank you again so much for um, pulling pulling us all together for this conversation this morning. Um, so, Mr. Self, tell us about this this wonderful program um, and uh, and sort of how you came to uh, envision it, and and you know now you know. Um, it's been around for a minute and uh, doing some really, really good work in helping um, veterans um, heal from a variety of traumas. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm Ron. I founded Veterans Healing Veterans in 2011 at San Quentin Prison. Um, frankly, the, 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 there's a myriad of reasons why I created the program, Um one was my own issues, my own attempted suicide. Uh, there were other issues, things that I saw within the prison system related to veterans. Um, there's always veterans groups at every prison you go to. They're called ill tags, inmate leisurely time activity groups. And back then, um, if you had an other than honorable or a bad conduct discharge, these groups that are run by prisoners inside wouldn't let another prisoner join the group and it, it seemed it didn't seem odd to me but it, it was disturbing to me particularly there was a one gentleman named money who's since passed um he was a vietnam veteran purple heart winner multiple times combat vet obviously uh, but he had a bad conduct discharge related to um shooting a lieutenant that got a bunch of people killed in vietnam in my opinion, perfectly justified. Um, sometimes that's those things happen. Long story short, they wouldn't let him join this group, and it really, it really kind of pissed me off. Uh, and a combination of things like that, my own issues, um, attempting to kill myself, trying to hang myself on the rope broke. Um, I spent a year in the prison university project writing the curriculum for the Veterans Healing Veterans Program which is based on narration therapy, and it, it addresses, obviously, PTSD, moral injury, suicidal ideation, uh, trauma recognition, resiliency inoculation training. So I spent a year going to uh, the English 204 class. So every semester I did a research paper on each one of those topics until I had enough to create a curriculum that I then 
submitted to the American Psychiatric Association for their approval, got their approval, and then started a pilot program at San Quentin Prison. And here we are. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That is pretty amazing because I know in um, uh, on your website, you know, you talk about the history, and, uh, and the website is um, veteranshealingveterans.com. <laughs> and and you talk about some of the programs that address uh you know trauma and things like that that um um I think I don't know that you participated in maybe uh the inside out um guiding rage into power grip and insight um prison projects victim offender education group um yep I facilitated for both of those groups I went through both of them facilitated for both of them uh wrote mm-hmm. some curriculum um wonderful groups Probably the, the, the those two groups you just mentioned, GRIP, IPP, Guiding Rage into Power and Vogue, are probably mm-hmm. two of the more powerful, legitimate programs within the prison system. Having said that, um, mm-hmm. those programs are also the reason DHV exists because they didn't go deep enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I shared an experience, a combat experience, in a Vogue group when I was going through the Vogue program. Um, it was a uh, a hard story to share with the last mission that I was on when I was in the Marine Corps resulted in several deaths. And when I shared that story in that group, it was just crickets. It was absolute quiet. People didn't know how to relate to me or what I had shared. Um, and it, it actually probably caused more harm than good. And I realized at that point, while this is a good program, it didn't address veterans' needs specifically mm-hmm. combat needs. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, those are great programs. I, mm-hmm. I stand by them 100%, but for, for a veteran, um, it, it just didn't go deep enough for me. Right. Yeah. So um, how, I mean, what was your background? How were you able to, you know, each semester, you know, write the curriculum for for veterans, healing veterans? Um, did you just, is it just from research about, you know, sort of what you needed, or had you already had some uh, academic pr- preparation to be able to write about, you know, these yeah. um, issues? So when I was growing up, going to military schools and in the Marine Corps, um, I got a BA and a master's in psychology and a doctorate in sociology. So okay. that education was intended to be used for psychological warfare, psyops. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, I'm using it for something different, uh, sociology of institutions, an institution being the military, prison, whatnot, they're all the same. It's just the magnitude with which, you know, the size of the institutions. Um, So, yeah, I already had an academic education in the field of psychology and sociology and, frankly, had been using that education indirectly, directly in the field for decades, so, you know, years rather. Um, Mm -hmm. So going to prison was just an extension in a way of that education. And then having an actual college program at San Quentin Prison that's a higher quality education. What I mean by that, it's it's not um, correspondence college or Scantron, you know, multiple choice. It, everything in that program is um, taught by professors from Stanford, Berkeley. Uh, and when you graduate, you can get an AA degree there. And when you're done with that, you can actually take those credits and you can transfer them to Harvard, any upper Ivy League school. So it's a very good quality education they give at San Quentin. Um, which is now Mount Tamalpais. They changed their name. 
So, yeah, mm-hmm. I had some academic background. I had my own experience uh, and just pulled those things together to create the curriculum and the program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are Are you from this area? Are you from the San Francisco Bay Area? I was born in Fremont, California. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're from the and Bay. Uh, I, yeah, Bay Area. Lived there till I was six. Went to go live with my grandparents when I was six. Things weren't working out at home. Um, and then my grandparents thought it would be good. They thought I needed some structure, uh, so they asked me if I would be interested in going to this military academy. You know, was a six-year-old now, right? It, it sounded like fun, so sure, off I went. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll come back. We'll circle back, and you could talk, you know, um, about, you know, some of your, I don't know, um, the program's been around for a minute, you know, some different aspects of the program you might want to share some of the other, some of the folks, because um, you mentioned in the um, in the history, you know, some of the folks that help you, you know, establish the program. Um, uh, I think a woman named Mary, I believe. Donovan, Mary Donovan. She was our first yeah. executive director. Yeah, mm-hmm. when I was inside, we were being offered money. Um, California Department of Corrections wanted to replicate the program, but as an incarcerated person, obviously I couldn't mm-hmm. accept money or control it. So um, Mary, who was actually working for the college program at the time as a tutor, she helped me with uh, sentence structuring and whatnot when I was writing the curriculum, uh, and she was fascinated by it. So when the time came to where I needed a actual executive director, um, I asked Mary Donovan if she would be that person, and she happily accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She did a lot, yeah. Right, that's really excellent. Um, that partnership, and um, and then the partnership with uh, the Veterans Transition Center. How did you land, you know, there? Now yeah, the program is established there. Boss. Yeah. Um, so I heard about <laughs> this program where at the time they only housed I think five people, five formerly incarcerated people, um, and it was still under the GPD side of things. So I decided that I would go there. Um, I would try to go there. I, I was accepted to go there. In fact, I asked that the parole board order me to go there because um, I basically wanted to play undercover boss. I had to decide if I wanted to create my own transitional housing or partner with someone that already has it. After I saw mm-hmm. what they had, it seemed clear to me there's no point in reinventing the wheel. I think they have something really good, unique, and powerful there. I also felt it needed a tremendous amount of uh, – a lot of changes. I felt there needed to be a lot of staff changes. Um, mm. And I eventually partnered with them. And, uh, yeah, we've been expanding the formerly incarcerated program ever since. We now have an LTOR contract, so we have we can house 26 formerly incarcerated people. And it used mm. to be six, and now we have 26 we can house. So things are progressing along really well, I think. Um mm. And the mm-hmm. Veterans Transition Center being, you know, they do, they basically they do housing and VHV does programming. That, that's where right. the planes meet, I guess. So it's a good mm-hmm. symbiotic relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, we've been partnered with them for, well, basically since I got out, 2017. <laughs> so yeah, now I that. run that part of the program, yeah. So I'm the executive director for VHV. I'm the director of uh, the LTOR contract. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And when you say L4, <clears throat> what does that mean? Uh, long-term offender, I think it's rehabilitative reentry program. There's two R's there. Um, so, yeah, long-term offender reentry program. Okay, yeah. So I was thinking, and that's um, where, Alex. Hmm? No, I was just say that's where everybody else you have on comes in mm-hmm. um, because they uh, oversee, you know, Alex is the case manager, Jenny's operation manager, Bobby's program replication director. But so, you know, they, they have their hands full. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, let's see. So, Alex, before, before you, um, or maybe, I don't know, um, so, Ron, who would you say, because I was thinking Alex would be perfect. Cause... Okay, I'm going I'm to give you the number right quick. Um, somebody else's, maybe you can mute. Um, Alex? Yes. Um, would you like to um, introduce yourself and um, and expand on um, what Ron just shared about what you do there at uh, the Veterans yeah. Transition Center and Veterans Healing Veterans Program? Yeah, of course. So my name is Alejandra Saldana, but I go by Alex because it's easier for people to say that than Alejandra. Um, and I'm a case manager supervisor for the long-term offender recovery and reentry program. Um, here it's under BHV, like Ron was mentioning, we house the formerly incarcerated veterans. Um, our contract is for 26 individuals at the moment. Um, we started, uh, excuse me for a second. Excuse me for a second, Alex. Are, are you um, in, is that where the sound's coming from, someone talking? No, in, Oh, no. maybe somebody could to mute themselves that so we can like hear Marcus. Alex a little bit. Oh, okay. Like Marcus, mute yourself, please. Uh, okay. okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. All right, great. Go ahead, Alex, because I want us to be able to hear you well. <laughs> of course. Um, the con- the program, the Eltor program started about a year ago, July of 2020, and we started off with approval of 16 beds, and within, um, I think, a maybe like six months, we got approval to extend to 26 beds um, because our program was doing so well. And so what I do and uh, our other case manager, Nicole Diaz, is we help the formerly incarcerated uh, veterans um, reintegrate back into society as well as help them to become self-sufficient back into their journey to reintegrate. Um, we help them with everything from getting their ID, their birth certificate, um, their benefit, like veterans' benefits, getting them health care, um, assisting them with any other like mental health, um, mental health uh, areas that they need, um, housing, employment, and any other. It's really our we create a plan with them, and whatever um, they need, the program or the plan is tied to the individual. So we mainly focus on their income, their housing their health care, their self-care as well, because obviously it's been a while since they've been out into society and it's, it's a uh, culture shock. So as well as mainly working with parole to make sure that they're meeting all their parole conditions so that way they are able to get off parole at a, a sooner rate. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much what we do in a nutshell without going into major details. Oh well, I thought you, I thought you'd tell us about yourself first. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> about myself. Um, 
Yeah, and so, also, um, you know, what what attracted you to, um, you know, uh, the uh, Veterans Healing Veterans Program at uh, BTC? Like, why do you do what you do? Okay, yeah, I, I could do that. So I was born and raised in Salinas, and I um, have my bachelor's in psychology, and I am uh, I just applied for my master's, so I'm hoping to get uh, proof for that one. Um, but I have um, I have about seven years of case management experience. In my previous job, I used to work with um, adults with developmental disabilities. We used to help them to become independent in a way to so they that way they can kind of what I do here, but to a different um, aspect where we would basically show them how to tie their shoes, how to do laundry, how to clean their homes, things like that, as well as what we do here. Um, I left that um, that my job there because I wanted to expand my knowledge. And I have never worked with veterans, but I have veterans in my family, and I noticed all that they were lacking in resources. And not a lot of people know about the resources that are available. And I, coming from the my my middle class um, background, um, there wasn't a lot of resources, or people don't know a lot of resources that are available to them. So I've always been interested in assisting people and helping them get um, everything that they can, that they are eligible for. So that's why I kind of just took um, the leap of faith and kind of applied when I got here. And I didn't think I was going to get it, but I ended up getting it, which was really cool. I initially uh, applied for a different position here at BTC, but I, they told me about this specific program that was coming into play, and I got pretty excited about it. I had never gone or worked with, you know, formerly incarcerated veterans, and now I'm going into the prison, uh, the CTF prison every week and meeting with, you know, the residents inside the prison and co-facilitating groups. And honestly, if you would have asked me a year ago if I was if I would be doing this, I would tell you I could not believe it. But I'm actually really happy I am because I'm able to help individuals get to where they want to be in life. I, a small, a small part of that I help because it's all them. I just guide them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks so much, um, Bobby Emery. Um, tell us, tell us about about your role um, in the uh, Veterans Healing Veterans Program and what what brought you to the program. Sure. Good morning. My name is Bobby Embry. I'm a Marine Corps uh, veteran. I served between 2000 and 2008. Um, I met Ron at a charity event and uh, Googled him after hearing a little bit about what he does. I watched his TED Talks um, and was very impressed with the service that he provided to veterans and asked him if he needed help with uh, funding, writing grants, because I was uh, writing grants for another organization where I lived. Um, And so that's how our relationship started. Uh, VHV started expanding very fast, and he offered me the program uh, replication director job. Uh, I obviously accepted and uh, have been doing that for nearly two years now. I have a passion for serving veterans. The job is very rewarding to me. Um, well, hopefully Ron's not listening. I, I would likely do the job for free uh, because <laughs> I, I enjoy it so much. Um, 
I'm glad that I don't have to do that though. Uh, let's see. I um, Ron obviously has a has a very good working curriculum. Um, we are the the leading uh, pr- uh, programming uh, community based organization for California Department of Corrections. Um, so I take Ron's curriculum, uh, replicate it, uh, and apply it across uh, multiple sites in uh, the state of California, and now in Colorado. Um, oh. And then depending on the target demographic for CDCR and, and whatever their grant criteria are, we'll, we'll modify the curriculum a little bit to fit uh, the needs. We're getting into um, women's facilities now, um, and that comes with its own, you know, different set of uh, programming requirements. Um, but what Ron has created kind of works across the spectrum, so it's very easy to, to do my job. <clears throat> Um, I also facilitate uh, groups at at uh, multiple sites, uh, as well as at in Marina, California, our, our uh, resident group there. And uh, together with uh, Jenny, Alex, Nicole, and our administrative assistant Allison, we uh, manage all aspects of the BHB in-house in Marina and at the prison sites. Uh, through the LTOR program, and, of course, through uh, in partnership with the Veterans Transition Center. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, What what, uh, sites are you all at, Uh, Veterans Healing Veterans? What what prisons are you at, and what women's prisons are you you in now? Okay, we're currently at CTF Soledad, San Quentin, Folsom, Solano, we're looking. We're we will be in Chowchilla, and possibly oh. Folsom Women's, mm-hmm. and then we're at a Sterling Correctional Facility in Colorado. Okay, awesome, awesome, and um, and you are a single father of five children that you adopted in 2018, and you're a painter, a motorcycle enthusiast, a hobby mechanic, and a movie buff. Yes, all those are correct. I, di- I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know if that was going to be a, a topic of conversation. But yes, all those are correct. Oh, yeah, yeah, and um, and you you uh, you also said that um, you and you and uh, Marcus have a a special relationship. Why don't you why don't you, uh, why don't you share what you wrote here? Okay, yeah, um, Marcus Marcus was my first pickup, uh, my first uh, resident pickup at a prison site um i didn't know what to expect so i did i did some due diligence and some research i I found out you know that marcus marcus has you know special diet um restrictions so i made sure that when we pick up a resident we take them to their first meal um and so i had to find a place obviously that fit marcus's um diet requirements and I did a little bit of background, so we we had a, I, I think we had a, a very good conversation uh, on the way to breakfast. Um, he told me a lot about himself, and then when we got back to the facility, we're kind of you know getting into the thick of you know what he should expect for the day. And my kids came to visit, and my um, my three year old daughter climbs right up on his lap and says she loves him and is hugging up on him and being really sweet. And 
Marcus, you know, obviously hasn't seen a child in, in decades. And he started tearing up, and I started tearing up, and we had a moment. And it was a, it was a monumental moment for me because I realized that I was in the right place doing the right thing. And I want to continue serving these veterans, uh, helping them transition back into society and doing all that, that, you know, encompasses for that job. But I will never forget the experience. Marcus and I have a picture together of his, of his first day with us. Um, And I share it with him frequently when, you know, in passing, we'll talk to each other and I'll, I'll pull it out and go, Hey, remember this, remember your first day and your, in your sweat sweatpants and gray gray sweater and uh and now i mean we obviously know how well he's doing and we know a lot more about him than i did that first day about you know how artistic he is and how intelligent he is and articulate he is and he's a writer and he's many things and um you know he's just a a great example of of what somebody can accomplish when they get out and go through the program and work the program and work the Veterans Healing Veterans Curriculum, which is at the foundation of these guys healing through their trauma and then being able to reintegrate into society. Um, so, yeah, that's my experience with Marcus. <laughs> and, um, Marcus, do you want to you come back with a couple of words before we move on to Jenny, who is um, returning uh, to the show, and then we're going to go to um, – uh, I believe uh, Craig and Sally are probably with us now, and let me let me see because um, they came on while people were talking. Okay, um, Craig, are you with us? Yes, I am. Good morning. Okay, uh, Sally. Good morning, Sally. Are you with us? Yes. Okay. Can excellent. You hear me? Excellent. Yeah, I can hear you now. Well, you were muted, so that's why you couldn't say anything. But yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> so um, again, we're gonna. Um, we're going to go back to Marcus for a few minutes since we were talking about you. Um, uh, Bobby was talking about you. And then we'll go to Jenny, and then we'll <laughs> we'll go to um, <clears throat> uh, to Sally and, and Craig. What we're doing right now is our introductions, but I really want you all to get into the curriculum. So be brief and succinct. Uh, okay, Marcus. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, sorry. So, uh, Bobby? Oh, oh, that's you, Marcus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you, Bobby, for all of that. Uh uh, I think um, uh, what Bobby expressed is kind of like encapsulates the program uh, altogether. Um, it's a place where you know you can you can uh, hit the ground running, so to speak. Well, you know you have this uh, feeling of camaraderie, um, of uh, being part of a community where you know you've been incarcerated. For me, I've been incarcerated for. Uh, like 25 years, continuous years, and 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 so uh, it was like uh, uh, grabbing onto an anchor. And then, uh, yeah, when those children came in that room, it was uh, it was something I hadn't expected, and it was just like uh, the, the 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 icing on the cake for me the, that uh, uh, this was like freedom <laughs> I could ne- I could never have imagined, right? I never thought of um, running into any uh, any children um, as, when I paroled, right? And here they were, right there, and, and uh, yeah, 
uh, children, they didn't have any uh, preconceived notions about who I was or whether I was this or whether I was that. They just saw somebody that uh, that uh, they they wanted to engage. So um, it was very uh, moving for me. And then I, I appreciate Bobby for for um, you know for having that trust in me uh, to to have his children around there and and he didn't he didn't bat an eye. So it was uh, it was a great experience and a great welcoming for me. And with that, uh, I'd like to thank Bobby again. And then we can c- continue with the interview. All righty. So we're um, we're muting when we're not talking because there's like feedback on somebody's phone. I don't know who it belongs to. Um, Jenny. Yes. Hello. Good morning. So, hi. Tell our audience who maybe weren't, uh, in, you know, listening to us a month ago, you know, a little bit about yourself and what you do. Okay. Uh, my name is Jenny Nessler, and I am a mother of three and a wife. I was born and raised in Carmel, California. Um, I I am currently the operations manager for Veterans Healing Veterans, but before this job, I worked in the medical field um, in radiology, and I did that for about six years, um, and then I moved to fashion, and I worked in high-end fashion for about two years, and then I came into this job. I started on the VTC side as a assistant for emergency housing for the homeless veterans, and then I worked my way up into the position I'm in now. Um, the reason for my interest in working with veterans is my father was a Vietnam veteran, and I, he passed when I was 14 years old, and being able to work with just veterans in general, I've learned a lot about um, his mental health and how uh, if he would have still been around, I feel like there would have been more um, outlets for help for him. So that's kind of my background. And Veterans Healing Veterans, as an operations manager, I go inside and co-facilitate groups at Soledad and Solano in San Quentin. And I also facilitate groups on Wednesday nights at our office in Marina. And I assist Bobby and Alex with pickups when the men parole out of prison. That's about it. Yeah. um, What about when the women parole? Do you do that too? Or who picks picks the women? So I have only been around um, for about four to five months with Veterans Healing Veterans, and I have not gotten a chance to pick up any women yet, but I am absolutely looking forward to that once we get into the women's facilities. So I will also assist with those pickups. Nice, nice. Excellent. Um, So Sally... Sally McNeil, tell yes. us about yourself and, and, and your relationship to veterans, healing veterans. And congratulations, I, I heard that you are a newlywed. Yes, yes, just this weekend. Yeah. Wow, I'm surprised you're talking to us. <laughs> um, and um, and then also I hear that you're an author. You're a published author. Yes, for, ch- for children's books. I wrote them for my grandson. And um, I wrote it to help him read. Like, I know you're really not supposed to say stuff like Donnie the the dolphin or Donnie the dragonfly, but 
I thought that way he could uh, relate to the letters and words. And, like, I used all of my family's names. And the first book I wrote was called The Adventures of Donnie the Dragonfly in Neverwood Land. And then um, the second one was called Seaville, and that was about Donnie the Dolphin. Now, that one hasn't been published. And then I wrote a second one called My Cousin's a Zombie. That hasn't been published yet either. Mm, and um, yeah. they laughed when they read it. And um, I uh, was in the Marine Corps for 11 years. Uh, I have three children that I had while I was in the Marine Corps. And I kind of ruined it for the other pregnant WMs because I ran when I was pregnant. And they didn't want to run when they were pregnant. I ran up until about a month before I gave birth. And um, being a Marine is what saved my life when my incident happened. I had an abusive husband. Uh, he was not the father of my children. I uh, was sentenced to 19 years to life for second-degree murder. And um, I ended up doing 25 years. Because I, I finally um, had to say what they wanted me to say, and then I got released. Um, I had wrote to the VCT program and asked to be placed in their program when I paroled. And uh, for some reason, they paroled me in shackles in my prison uniform. And um, nobody was told when I was getting out, or nobody was able to pick me up. And um, two COs took me to meet my parole officer and I just kept telling myself it's just going to get better, it's just going to get better and then it did. I met my parole officer and he took me to a program it was a drug program and uh, that was for two weeks until the VTC had an open bed for me and then um, I went from Santa Cruz to Marina and um, they had a room for me on 204 Hayes circle and um, we would have to go to lifer meetings and um, they gave me a bicycle and one day I was laughing at myself because I had to stuff toilet paper down my pants so I could ride my bike home. I did steal the toilet paper. I, I bought it but I didn't have a rack yet on my bike or a basket so I had a knapsack and I put the stuff I bought at um, Target and then I stuffed the toilet paper down my pants and rode home without it falling out. And I was laughing at myself at the class. And um, this uh, one guy came up to me and said, hey, did you watch the movie Hamburger Hill? And I said, yes, it was a good movie. He goes, well, I really went up that hill. And that was the best pickup line I ever heard, and nobody could beat that, and that's why I married. And he had told me if he ever needed to ride any <laughs> He said, if you ever needed to ride anywhere, just call me. So he uh, said, let's go for a walk on the beach one weekend, and we did, and we've been together for a year, a little over a year. And then um, he was in, he's in the program, or he was in the program. We both completed the program. They had the lifer meeting. They had the tech class, because when we get out, I mean, it's been 25 years. I had never touched the cell phone and um, we had to learn how to use cell phones. They donated a uh, laptop to us and we would go every Tuesday from 4 to 5 o'clock and then they opened it up to uh, 4 to 6 
And then on Mondays, they had AA. And um, so I would go to those classes, and then um, I helped them help me because, like, during the day, they would have appointments for you to go on. Uh, Molly was my counselor, and she basically took me by the hand, took me to the DMV, and uh, I got my identification there. And then the lady said, do you remember your last known address? And I did. 1802 South Tremont Street. Her eyes lit up. So, you remember that? So, I got my license. And then she took me to Social Security, and I applied for my Social Security card. And um, then she took me to the bank another week, and I opened up a bank account. And that's how I got my identity because of the VTC counselors helping me. Molly was really good. She was a really, really good. Um, counselor and then um they donated a bmw to me it's a station wagon it's a 2004 i still have that and it's a really nice cute little car and um then i got another counselor and um she's the one that got me hud bash that i had a, a place to stay an apartment and um, I've been living in that apartment ever since. And then I went to the Fort Ord PX where they have Habitat for Humanity, and I bought furniture there, and it's really nice. And then the VTC, what furniture I wasn't able to purchase, like I got my bedroom set from the VTC and um, some pictures go with the furniture that I got and whenever people come and visit they say what a nice place I have and I have the VTC to thank for all of that stuff. They really helped me out when I got out of prison because I heard somebody say it is quite a culture shock and, and it was but it was a good culture shock. I was so happy <laughs> and the food was good and I could uh, like the first night that I spent at VTC I didn't realize that I could go out I stayed in my room, shaking in my bed the first night. I was so scared because there was no lock on the door. And um, then I I realized the next day, hey, I can go for a run. And I ventured out like I ran a mile because I didn't know my way around yet. My When you get out of prison, your, um, your sense of direction is lost. I was lost. I didn't know how to get places like people had to take me places and thank god there's gps on the cell phones now because the eye would be lost without i still use the gps Mm. and that's through my experience yeah well thank you thank you so much sally um uh for sharing and i'm glad you're back um craig (laughs) thank you good morning you have any other questions good morning was i able to okay all right Thank yeah, you. we're gonna we're gonna come back around because mm-hmm. we 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 only have like a little less than twenty minutes, and I wanted you all to talk more about the uh, the veterans healing veterans curriculum. Um, so, Craig, why don't you introduce yourself to our 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 audience who might not have heard you a month ago, and tell us how you're doing. My name is Craig Farrell. I've been paroled four months after doing forty three years in prison. I want to start by reading on page 33 in the VA3 manual 
unprocessed feelings associated with the terror and memories of the trauma can appear unexpectedly and unpredictably causing complex problems. That one sentence is highlighted in my opinion. It's, it, I was very fortunate to, to complete the veteran thing veterans curriculum prior to the president's yeah. ago. I'm taking the VHP now while on parole and it's helped me to with my pro transition. I want to explain something uh, personal. I was having a bad day in my second week out on parole and I was feeling a lot of self doubt and lack of confidence. And Jenny says, I believe in you. And those four words meant a lot to me. And that's that's some of the things that takes place at VHV and at VTC were, 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 you know, another thing is Alex told me, advocate for yourself. And it's kind of hard to advocate for yourself when you're in the DMV and you're meeting hostile resistance to getting your ID card. But the VTC staff stepped right up and, and, and helped me navigate the DMV process and helped me to navigate myself in my first four months of transition. Thank you. I'd like to suggest um, that somebody in the CDCR or the state legislator wake up and see why why VHB should be in every prison setting, especially for veterans and those preparing to parole. It's, it's, it's the closest to a cure-all to unearth why we found ourselves in prison in the first place, and it helps us to rectify uh, the behavior that we had that led us to prison. Thank you. Yeah. So, Craig, since um, you're the last person to speak and you, you started talking about um, how um, Veterans Healing Veterans helps you um, sort of look deeper inside of yourself, and then, Ron, you mentioned how those other programs um, – weren't able to hold you like you you know they created space but then once you shared they weren't able to hold you in a way that could help you process these things that you were sharing so I was wondering Craig and and um, Ron if you could talk a little bit about um, the program um, Wanda this is Jenny and Ron had to get on another call so he is not on so if you want Bobby can probably answer that oh, yeah. from Craig as well. Oh, yeah. Totally. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was Jenny just there. I want to comment that Jenny is my stylist. When you come out of prison after 43 years, you don't have much style other than gray sweatpants or prison blues. And the VTP staff with Alex and Jenny uh, were helpful to help me get, get clothes that fit me in the room and that gave me a sense of style. That all helped me with my self confidence and self esteem. Mhm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So, Bobby, you want to talk to us about yes. about the curriculum? Sure. Uh, the Veterans Healing Veterans Curriculum is a cognitive behavioral therapy group <clears throat> that uses the principles of narration therapy to unpack uh, traumas from uh, childhood uh, through military service. Um, we have a series of writing prompts that allow the participants to explore their very first remembered childhood trauma or significant event 
Um, and we start there because um, the correlation between uh, childhood traumas and the reason why participants are incarcerated are, are clear as day uh, once you start connecting those dots. And so we help them um, obviously unpack the, the childhood traumas. Then we start discussing the connection, the correlation between those traumas and the series of events that take place in their life through their military service and the, and the PTSD or the traumas that they experienced there and why it is that they um, landed in a long-term incarceration. Um, we continue this uh, process uh, many times for some of the residents. We'll go through the program uh, a multitude of times. Um, and then when they get out to the transition facility, we also have this group there where we continue to do the work. Um, essentially, you could do this program your entire life. It's, it's, uh, there's no lack of trauma. There's no lack of uh, experience that can't be processed with the curriculum. Um, and then most of our participants become facilitators of the program themselves. Um, to speak on the success of the program, we have a zero recidivism rate, which is unheard of for um, any transitional program uh, in, out there right now, especially with CDCR. Um, and so that speaks on the efficacy of what we're doing, um, how well oh, it is, sure. how well uh, the, oh, excuse me. Okay, I think we had a hiccup there. Uh, yeah, so um, that's really, you know, all encompassing of, of what the program is and what it does. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I, remember VHV, I remember one, one of the VHV classes, they said it was the first time you was hit. I grew up in a household with four other brothers, and a lot of times when when you got sibling robbery at his feet, you know you're not taught how to have conflict resolution with your child. I remember my dad said, "If he hits you, hit him back." Just a second, Craig. Just a second, Craig. There's too wait a second, Craig. There's too much. There's too much noise. I can't hear you really well. Is everybody muted when you're not speaking? Because there's a lot of ambient sound. Craig, can you start from the beginning? You said you grew up in a household, and I, I couldn't hear really well. Yeah, what I, I, one of the chapters that I got caught up on in VH3 was toxic masculinity, and we were asked the question, what was the first violence you experienced as a child? And I grew up in a household with five boys, no sisters. We were not taught conflict resolution. I didn't I didn't realize what conflict resolution was until I took VHV. When you had conflict within the household, you know, it was always the uh, violence was a source of resolution. And then as, as kids growing up in, in the playground, you know, it was always might makes right and king of the hill kind of mentality. And so it wasn't until we got into the VHV program that we started learning how to resolve conflict in a peaceful, nonviolent way. Because we took a look at what we were doing, and we said, this didn't work. It's 43 years of my life was a waste, all because I couldn't handle conflict resolution. Wow. Well, it's good you have the lesson now. 
and it's reinforced by the case manager. Alex is my case manager, and mm-hmm. she's she shows how to be assertive without being aggressive. And like the, the three words that stands out with me with her is advocate for yourself. And mm-hmm. throughout my four months on parole, I've had to exercise those three words and exercise for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Marcus, you um, you mentioned a lot about emotional intelligence. Do you want to uh, talk a little bit about that as a part of the um, um, the program that um, resonates for you? If you're mute, you might be muted. Yeah, sorry. Briefly, one of the uh, one of the modules that we went through during the uh, veterans healing veterans healing veterans group was uh, uh, concerning emotional intelligence and what that entails. And uh, so, basically, um, what uh, we went over was the fact that, you know, there are sometimes when we have uh, certain feelings and, we're, we're you know, we're, we're not used to, well, I'll speak in I statements, I wasn't used to processing those feelings in a, in a, in a meaningful way. Uh, generally, um, in the, when I'm in the incarcerated or in the prison setting, you know, it's just like uh, uh, most of the time I just shut down and can go to the cell or just stay isolated. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I mean, you still have that option uh, in, out in the free society, but when you're trying to, you know, interact with people, um, if you're not able to, you know, kind of like pull yourself in and, and get a grip on, on why you're feeling a certain way, then it's just kind of hard to really communicate with people. So I, I, I'll say like uh, for a specific example is, um, if I'm feeling a sense of shame or guilt, right, and then I, then uh, when I'm interacting with someone, then I, I have to I have to take my time and and try and separate that uh, so that I can get a, a handle on myself and why I feel that way. It could be for a number of reasons, but the fact of it is is that I'm able to realize it, right, and so then. Once I realize what's going on, then I can, you know, I can take some type of uh, steps to examine it, and then um, to process it in a way that that is that is more healthy for me and for the person with whom I'm engaged. And so then, um, um, uh, because of my ability to to see this thing. And to change the narrative on on my feelings and to, to process those feelings, I can I can do things in, in a more healthier way. Um, but that's like being general, and I don't want to get into any specifics. But suffice it to say that had it not been for this uh, uh, part of uh, the curriculum, I would not have known you know that I was going through these um, these uh, uh, changes or having these bouts of uh, Anxiety or whatever depression, and um, yeah, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to process it in the way that I am now, in a meaning more meaningful way. Mm, yeah. um, Sally, do you want to um, share um, an aspect of the curriculum that um, sort of really resonated with you? 
Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Uh-oh, no, wait. I can hear yeah, you. Yeah, we hear you, okay. But you can't, you um, can't hear me. What resonated with me was uh-huh. the um, tech class that really helped. Oh. And, like, mm-hmm. I I don't think I was able to mute my cell phone. I still don't know how to mute it. I don't know if you guys muted it for me. No, oh, okay. you're, we, hey, we, we hear I? you. Oh, okay. Um, so the tech class was very important, and um, the the lifer meeting to me was very important, and mm-hmm. just the help that the um, counselors gave us, taking us by the hand and taking us to get our identity, that was the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to um, go back to Alex and Jenny and, and Bobby um, uh, to close the conversation um, and was wondering if maybe each of you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, because I, I believe you all go into the prisons. So what's the difference between inside and outside? Um, and if you wanted to share a story, um, a brief story, because we're we're running over a little bit, but that's okay. Um, Are you still talking to me? Uh, I'm talking to um, uh, to Alex, Bobby, okay. and uh, and Jenny right now, because we're we're out of time. But thank you so much, Sally. Do you do you need me anymore? Because it's my lunch break. No, no, because I know you're you're at work. So no, you're, we're yeah. good. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining. Us. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Wanda. Thank you. God bless you. Hi, Wanda. It's Alex. Hi. Hi, Alex. So, I think the difference between um, going inside the prisons and working with the guys outside is basically kind of just the the structure that they have. They're a lot. Um, they tend to be a lot of them tend to want more of the help. And um, I don't know. Can't really. Really describe much on that, but I mean, they just are all willing to help. A lot of them are never have done the group, so that's that's the difference. The guys coming out, a lot of them have, um, but some guys haven't, so they're all pretty nervous. We actually just started new groups at the Florida prison, and in my group, where I know a lot of the guys are very eager to start, but also very scared to start the process of you know going through the curriculum and writing their, their narrative therapy stories and things like that because they don't know what um, what to expect from the things that they push back all their life, you know. And kind of the way I see it, you know, uh, yeah. Hmm. Bobby, you want to talk um, on that part? Oh, sure. Yeah, I, um, it sounds like somebody's driving. I hear a lot of wind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> if, if I need to mute, I can. I I have to drive to work. I I can't sit any longer. But oh um, no, it's okay. If it's too loud, yeah, we're, I, can, we're, I can mute. And Jenny. Yeah. Well, we're just we're just wrapping. Um. Yeah. It is. It's loud. Not. It's not loud right now. Okay. But if you're in a vehicle, yeah. Um. So, do you want to close with a um, something some you know something you want to share about um. Uh, the curriculum, a group, um, 
processing something. Sure. Um, I, I'm. Um, you know, the the groups on the the groups on the inside are obviously there's a contrast between the groups on the inside and the group on the outside. The group on the outside, um, we have. Uh, quite a few drop-ins. We have guys who have not done the uh, VHP curriculum, and, and then we have guys who have done the VHP curriculum and who have been facilitators. So it's a mixed bag. Um, the groups on the inside are uh, very committed to the to programming. They're very serious about the work, and the guys on the outside are too, but but like I said, that dynamic is different because we we typically find ourselves having to start over quite frequently or revisiting an explanation of what we're doing, and the, and there there's really good work that happens in the outside group, but the inside groups are, you know, these guys are dedicated to the program. They're really doing the most work uh, for themselves, and. Uh, when you go in, it's like you're, you're going in and everybody's amped up. They're re- they're ready to do this process. And when you start a new group and and you do your group agreements and you're and you're building this container of trust, that moment for me is 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 probably probably the the best time because you're really getting to know strangers and you're putting a lot of trust. And then we as outside facilitators also participate in the program, so. I too will will do a writing prompt about my first childhood trauma or or my first or my moral injury or uh, my um, experience with shame and guilt. And so, as outside facilitators, we have to lead by example. So typically, we'll start the process. We will do the first read for the group. And that uh, I remember my first time and and all the things that I experienced is the same things that the guys in the group experienced for their first time. And so I can share this experience with the, you know, just being terrified of revealing pieces of myself in this group. Um, And I can tell them what, what I went through. And I think it helps them kind of, you know, process the, that initial fear of what it's like to tell strangers a piece of your life that typically you would probably take to the grave. And, um, and so, but that's the beauty of the of this thing is that we're teaching <clears throat> men to open themselves up to this process, and I think that it gives them these great tools. And we we talk about emotional intelligence and and what that means. And when you can identify that you're being triggered in a situation, especially in a relationship where most of um, most of uh, these men found themselves. Uh, getting incarcerated for is that when you feel these triggers and you're experiencing these emotional responses and these physical responses, you can identify them now very quickly because you've been through the process and you've been given the tools. And so now when you notice, oh, my shoulders are tense and my jaw is tight, why, why is that? Oh, I'm being triggered. What's the trigger here? And you can start processing this very quickly for yourself. And it, and it, allows you to have healthy relationships and a healthy dynamic with people in your life. Whereas before it would just be fear and anger or it would be violence because they don't know what to do with these emotional responses. And when you team that with PTSD and incarceration syndrome, which, which is similar to PTSD and you don't have these tools, well, of course your fight or flight is going to come into play. So when you're talking about, 
you know, the what the group does for these men, and Marcus talked about this as well, is, you know, the, these are uh, these are just a series of tools that they have in their toolbox that help them mitigate relationships and interactions with people, whereas if they never went through the program, they would never experience this, and they wouldn't know what it feels like and what it looks like. So it's a hands-on, it's a really deep-rooted hands-on program. Oh, wow. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Bobby. That was that was very helpful. And, and Jenny, I, I think I'm going to let you close out our wonderful conversation, um, perhaps with contact information for people who um, are interested in the program. And also, uh, you all are a nonprofit, um, and, and this is the season of giving, as they say. <laughs> so if people want to make a donation, um, you know, you all yes. have a really wonderful fundraiser, but I'm sure you you could still use more money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's veteranshealingveterans.com, and you can go and learn all about what we do inside. And there is a donate button for anybody interested. Um, obviously, credit card or check is great. Um, and I just want to thank you, Wanda, for having us all on and being able to talk about this. And hopefully it allows other people to understand what we do. And um show just how much we truly all love um, our jobs and helping these men. And thank you. And 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 women. And women, yes, and women. I hope to come back with a great series all about incarcerated women. <laughs> all right. Well, you all take good care. Thanks so much. I'm sorry we ran out of Thanks, time. Thanks, Wanda. All good. Thanks, Wanda. All right. Thank you. Thank you. you take good care. Mm-hmm. Assalamu alaikum. Wa Oh, good morning. Thanks, thanks so much for hanging in there, uh, Diodosio. How are you? Good morning. I'm quite well. How are you? I'm fine. I just thought, whoa, this this is a nice segue. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, memoirs in the moment. Uh, yeah. The daily walk of PTSD by Diadocio Habi. Yeah, yeah. Take two. Um, we talked about <laughs> your wonderful book. Uh, you know, for uh, Memorial Day this year, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it's flying off the shelf right now, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you are a um, a veteran and uh wow and and you um you know you saw combat oh my goodness and uh, yeah and it really really uh, impacted your life and and you weren't aware of it um right. for a long time a very very yeah. long time <laughs> 3 decades <laughs> 3 decades yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. how many marriages 5 or 6 um yeah, right now total um I'm at, I'm on 6. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you hold them steady on 6 cuz you got Yeah, help. 6 is right. Yeah, 6 is right. <laughs> I finally did all the right things I needed to do. Uh finally got took took control over my own self. Uh the thoughts that were uh running me uh into the ground, creating a lot of havoc in my life. I finally put forth the effort um, and got to a place where I'm now able to manage 
um, the impact, the triggers, the uh, the emotions that surround PTSD in my life, and as a result, I've been able to have a much happier, much more rewarding and enriching life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You um you travel um like your uh your your journey um is 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 uh like you know from you know living in the south you know going into the military and then coming out and i mean you move, you you travel a lot of places um you know yeah. in, in the story um and uh and and when you you know as as you try to like sort of mitigate and try to figure out what's going on uh with you uh you know why you why you get angry you know um mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, just you know, why do you feel ill at ease, and um, you know, sort of some of the attitudes of of um, superiority <laughs> that, that you adopt, and <laughs> yeah, 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 it, um, it, it is yeah, a journey. Yeah, yeah, and then finally, you know, to get help. Wow, and the fear around that. I mean, you got this this really loud internal dialogue going on that, you know, drowns out, you know, sort of, you know, what's happening in the moment that you know is working. It's like, whoa. So I don't know, like, where yeah. do we start? Um, maybe maybe you can sort oh, of, my. you know, talk about how you wrote the book, why you wrote the book. Uh, I was okay. really impressed when you told me, um, you know, sort of, I think you wrote it in two months, I think you told me. Um, about um, I re- the first draft was done in about two, three weeks, two to three weeks. Oh, three, three weeks. Oh and, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And then um, I worked yeah. with an editor <laughs> for another mm-hmm. six weeks just to kind of make sure everything was how it should be. So mm-hmm. beginning to end, we're looking at about a total of maybe three months at the most. Mhm. Mhm. I, yeah. I, I wrote it out of a. So the story is, of course, when you deal with PTSD or any quote-unquote mental illness, um, there's this certain stigma that many folk carry. And for me, that became just who I was. Um, Fortunately, I finally reached a point where I felt that I did not need to let this stigma dictate my life and livelihood. And instead, I needed to take... Uh, a more assertive approach to uh, getting getting some level of control over what was happening within my own self. Uh, and so because of that, and, you know, I, I want to also credit COVID-19 because that kind of brought a lot of things to a stop, and it created mm-hmm. a little bit more space for me to actually process some of the thoughts I had been having and then commit to sitting down and writing the book. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's all about just leveraging what I've learned in my experiences in the hopes of helping others who may be dealing with trauma of their own to realize, first and foremost, that they're not alone, secondly, mm-hmm. that there are resources out there that can help, and thirdly, that they can live a full and healthy and rewarding life, even with PTSD. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe you could talk a little bit about um the book is um you know, it's it's a um 
I don't know. You find I, I found myself talking to myself like, "What? No!" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Really? Oh my gosh!" Um, yeah, and Did you know, there's really 156 saves, but it's quite quite engaging. <laughs> Thank you. I wanted to I wanted to be authentic, and I wanted to be honest, and I wanted to be able to relate to other people at a deeper level than just a bunch of uh, words put together to trying to tell you a story. I want to actually touch people at a spiritual uh, at a spiritual level because to me, um, anyone who's dealing with trauma, we all have the same spiritual um, uh, challenges, which is to say to allow ourselves to rise above the whispers uh, that continually um, come into our head about negative issues or about uh, fears or threats that don't that may not exist. So I, I wanted to really get to a place where we can start uh, talking about those things. Um, and I thought the best way to do it is to just use myself. This is me. I'm just sharing my perspective. I'm sharing the things that happened in my life. I'm sharing the things I've learned after uh, now over 10 years of therapy uh, at the VA. So I've learned to manage um, these things that once I had no control over. And the book is there to try and encourage other people uh, to know that they can do the same thing. It's not a cakewalk. You have to do the work, but the payoff is tremendous, and it's well worth every every moment I spent struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure where you know where you know what I might want you to read or share. I was just thinking about. Um, just sort of the idea of belonging, um, you know, um, you know, you and your mother, you know, have a really strong yeah. relationship, and you were raised by your mom, and then yeah. and then you write about, you know, getting to know your father, and how, mm-hmm. you know, you know, sort of the results of that relationship, um, and and then and then how you came to enlist in the military. You just seemed like you were kind of like floating anchorless. Um, you know, until yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would I, to, to a certain extent I would have to agree. Um, you know, we so I came up in Savannah, Georgia. We were I was the we there were five kids and my mom. Um, we struggled. We we lived in and with poverty um, most of that time, um, and so I was accustomed to kind of just accepting what was. Um, and it wasn't until I was uh, in high school when I saw a good friend of mine come out of the Marine Corps that I began to understand that I could become a better representation of who I am or who I want to be. Um, I saw a, a young man who was fully aware of himself, who was confident, who was directed, and who was focused, who knew where his next step would be. I never had that to that point in my life. I had what I thought was that, but it wasn't the truth of who, what it means to be a man who's um, self-actuated and fully aware of himself. So because of my interaction with my buddy, his name is Legree, because of that interaction and, and what I saw, the change in him, I knew that my, my exit out of poverty was going to be the military. And in my case, it was the Marine Corps. And so at the age of 17, I enlisted, um, and then by the time I was 18, 
So I had just turned 18. I was actually in Paris Island doing boot camp. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to share, um, uh, you know, that that traumatic moment? Um, maybe read that, or who would you, or would you like to share? Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you, What do you want to? <laughs> what would you like to oh, share from here? I'll share a little bit of it. Let me find something that, that kind of really resonates with me here. Uh, let's see. Let's see, let's see, let's see. And and it was also, while you're looking, it was interesting how, you know, after that experience, how there was silence, you know? Um, yeah. You know, between you and the men, like the people that weren't on the ground, they didn't know what you had seen. Um, right. Right. Yeah, and 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 and, be, and you couldn't talk about it with anybody. No one said, "How you doing?" You know, like right. The, During that yeah, time, it seems like someone would have known because you, you're a young person. I mean, you're very young. How old were you at that time? I had just turned uh, nineteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I just yeah. I was about to turn twenty. I was about to turn twenty. I was nineteen, about mm-hmm. to turn twenty. It happened in eighty-three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I found a little something I'll share with you. Okay. Um, okay, so this is in chapter chapter 4, mm-hmm. page 39. Uh, here it goes. About a week before that fateful day of 23 October, I saw my first deceased Marine. Without going into the details of that event, I can say this was one of those moments when it became abundantly clear I was dealing with real life-and-death situations. When I saw this, it was as if it wasn't me looking at the deceased Marine. I was someone else. Or I had somehow come out of my body into some kind of surreal, anti-reality world. This would not be the only time I would see death up close, nor was it the only time I felt that surreal sense of disembodiment. For, for that solid week before the 23rd, snipers had taken up, turned up the heat, and we were losing Marines daily. The bodies of two Marines were brought in, both of them killed by snipers. This again seemed to amplify my sense of foreboding about some unknown future where something bad would happen. On 23 October 1983 at 0622, my life was changed forever. At this moment, to me, at the moment the change occurred in me, I was not aware of it. My mind was completely preoccupied with the life and death reality I had to face. I simply did not. I simply did what I was motivated to do to support my fellow Marines, and I kept in motion. I experienced a deep anger coupled with a deeper sense of helplessness because of my inability to respond to the tragedy in a way that mattered. On that moment. On that morning, I was heading to my office, uh, excuse me, to my work center. The shift went into uh, 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 general quarters as it steamed closer to the shoreline. Helicopters started taking off and landing and heading inland. I could see Cobra attack helicopters letting loose salvos of missiles and the corresponding explosions. We were told something had happened and to report to our duty stations for further notice. Shortly thereafter, the Marines were called together, and it was explained that there was a bombing and that wounded Marines were inbound. 
We had already determined that there had been a bombing by the side of this huge plume of smoke we could see funneling into the clouds, even from our offshore vantage point. We knew things had just had just gone had gone south in a very big way, but we had no idea of all the devastation we would be exposed to. Mm-hmm. We were called together and given instructions on how to change IVs as the wounded were arrive on were, were now arriving. We formed a triage system and went from marine to marine to provide support. By the time we were in our flow of service, the entire inner bay of the Iwo Jima was full of wounded marines. Mm. Uh, and then I just I just keep going on talking about that experience. Mm-hmm. Really yeah, cool. yeah. But the thing, you know, when you, um, uh, you know, when you, um, I think you volunteered to go on to the yeah, ground to like was, see yeah yeah but the only thing is you didn't have your guns weren't loaded right i mean you right yeah had, yeah cuz so, yeah uh so what happened was after we processed the wounded or deceased marines a uh, call came up for volunteers uh to go in and to recover any other personal effects or any other uh, bodies um, I was one of the, the, the folk who volunteered. And so we were given flag jackets, helmets, and M16s, but we were not giving any ammunition. The reason was because of our rules of engagement. We were there as a part of a multinational peacekeeping force. The whole purpose of us being there was to try and create enough space so that the Lebanese people could build their society, build their economy, build their military to to, uh, to to support themselves, defend themselves, that kind of thing. So we had very stringent uh, rules of engagement that said only under very specific circumstances were we able to return fire. And one of the things they did for us to make sure that we didn't get a little bit ha- ha- happy about it was they did not provide us the ammunition. So we went there just as a a policing entity um, uh, to do some search and, and try and recover some, some, some personal effects or body parts or bodies. And as a result, as a result of it, we pretty much lost. Um, uh, we, had, we had no way of defending ourselves. Um, this was the time when we were in a little area where, where I got fired upon um, by their snipers, and, and at that, it was like, okay, this is, I don't think I ever want to get this close to that again. Uh, and so we ended up having to leave because of that. Um, so it was, it was, it was, again, it was a surreal experience. You, you, you never imagine that you could be in that situation, even though, of course, I'm a part of the Marine Corps and this was all about defending the company and fighting and so on and so forth. It's one thing to have it as a conception, conceptualize it in your mind. It's another thing to actually live it in real time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, and, and you you know, you're a really good writer, so, um, you know, it's really vivid. Um, what you experienced and then what you're carrying, you know, for the next, I don't know, I don't know how many chapters <laughs> until, because <laughs> we keep on wondering, like, okay, it's, you know, it's almost as if, I think you mentioned somewhere in one of the chapters that 
um, you know, you keep on doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Um, and, yeah. and, and, and you don't know what's going on with you. Like, you know, well, you know, it gets pointed out to you, but you don't want to get help in. And, and then you told me that there really was no name for it because, you know, no one wanted to admit that there was something going on emotionally, psychologically, yeah. you know, post-combat yeah. um, because right. there was stigma attached to that. You know, there, mm-hmm. you know, like now we say PTSD, like, you know, it's like no thing, but, you know, that, yeah, that's a new then. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, back I, then well, so it was like, good, yeah. I, I got mm-hmm. out of the Marine Corps in 1985, um, and when I got out, we had like a two-hour um uh reinter- reintegration uh class that was supposed to prepare us for reintegrating back into the civilian world. Naturally that was more of a technical exercise because it not once did anyone raise the issue of any type needing any type of support. Uh, in fact when I was in if you if you mentioned that there was some problem you will look down upon in the Marine Corps because you were not at your best. So there was really no real um, conversation about it. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I never spoke to anyone in the Marine Corps about it until many, many years later after I reconnected with some of my buddies who were there with me. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that nowadays there's a much more realistic approach to this issue, and I think that's a great thing. And I'm just looking forward to how it can help other people going forward in the future. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And um, and and your your daughter um, um, is definitely, um, even though you know you are still in the throes of 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 you know PTSD you know and and not knowing not being able to name it um you were able to hold on to that relationship um and, yeah and and I think I think it was like what do you call it um how when somebody uh, you know when you're in the water and somebody throws you um oh a life a life raft well, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, because <laughs> you were like, every, your cars were like breaking down. You were trading them back in, so you wouldn't have any. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't have a note, and then walking again and losing your housing and one yeah. like one relationship after another relationship after another. I mean, wow! I yeah. mean, you really like those women. Oh my goodness! But then you, um, some of them yeah. were like, the last one was a pretty. You know that was that's an amazing story. You all really need to get the book. It's you, know, you, you and you're a filmmaker, so like we, we're looking for the movie. <laughs> and who's gonna uh, play these the wise, right? <laughs> and who's gonna you know, play you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, so, so so Savannah's my daughter. She's my youngest daughter. She's my miracle child. Um, her mom got pregnant, even though the doctor said that. Um, I had a problem in that I, I couldn't uh, have any more kids. And so she is my miracle child, and because of that, she meant, she means the world to me. And so um, she was one of the main reasons why I stayed in Oakland. 
um, why I fought so hard to have her in my life because her that 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 relationship uh, was priceless is priceless to me, and I refused to walk away from her. Whatever happened in my life had nothing to do with her. She was just a child, and I had to regard it as such so that I can continue to be there for her. And so through the years, I just committed to no matter what, you know, come hell or high water, as they say, um, I was going to be there for my child, and I was able to do that, and I'm grateful for that. She actually was one of the reasons why I kept fighting. Mm -hmm. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Yes, because I, I have thought, it's like, okay, I thought you had another daughter. So how yeah. how is she, and how is that relationship? Because that particular, that was like your first marriage, I believe, and, and yeah. it seems like you and you and, you and um, your daughter's mother, the, your first child, your first daughter's uh-huh. mother, it seemed like the, the parting was, you know, like you had agreed that this wasn't working, but that it wasn't antagonistic or hostile. Did I it read took that a little time. You, you read it pretty good. It took a little time. I have to say I was, I, I think I was pretty much devoid of any emotion other than anger when we were mm-hmm. together. Um, the Anger was the prominent uh, field. Anger and helplessness. Those were the two went side and side. And so they were prominent. But we did part, and over the years we were able to really patch up the differences. Um, mm-hmm. I actually shared the truth about the PTSD with her, and mm-hmm. once I did that, she was like, you know what, now it, makes all, it all makes sense. Because as I wrote in my book, my behavior when in that relationship, and this was right after Beirut. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, I was still a little kid. I wasn't a grown man at that point in time. Regardless of what I had been through, I didn't even know myself. So I was not a man. I was a young man wanting to become a man. So that relationship, we actually, um, it's gotten to a place where we're very, we, 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 we talk about our daughter, our shared daughter. Um, mm-hmm. We have forgiven her. She's forgiven me. I've forgiven me. She's forgiven her. So we've really put forth the right effort to, to rise above it. Um, she understands all of, or as much as I was able to share with her about what I was going through, uh, through the book, and we came to terms with that. Um, uh, my daughter, that's actually my daughter, I actually talked to her this morning. We are very close. Um, it's just a great relationship, you know. Through the years, I think when, when, when each time I made the decision to rise above to try and figure out what my next step would be and then take that next step. Each time I've done that, um, it yielded fruit to me that helped me have a more uh, uh, enriching life. So that, to me, is a lot of reason. That, that, that gives me a reason and justification to keep moving forward to become my best self, even now, because I know that going forward by doing that, I'll, I'll become, I'll realize other fruits of my labors. And, and that's mm-hmm. really what it's all about, just learning how to be good um, and getting away from the negativity, the anger, the negative energy. Uh, the thoughts that I have will always come in, mm-hmm. but I don't have to let them dictate my life. 
Right. Your, your previous right. guest yeah. was talking about being able to manage the triggers, identifying the triggers, and so on and so forth. That's very true, and that's a very real thing. And what I would add to that, in my experience, has been the more you practice that, the easier it becomes. So your, your recovery time, when you do have an episode, it, it decreases over time. Mm-hmm. So, so that, to me, is one of the major reasons why it's so important to always do what you need to do or what you can do to take that, that next step. Regardless of how small it might be, I, I just tell you, take the next step. Yeah, you may be afraid. Yes, it may be foreign to you. Maybe you don't even know what to expect, but take the next step anyway because that's the only way you're going to get to, to uh, overcome uh, those constraints we impose on ourselves that keep us away from becoming our fullest self. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Uh, well, Theodosio, Habib, um, we have run out of time, and so I want, want you to let our audience know where they can get your book, Memoirs, In the Moment, The Daily Walk with PTSD. Um, yeah, great, great work. Um, Thank you. Moving story, and, and so, so happy, you know, that you're here to talk to us about it. Now, you put it down because I'm sure a lot of people, um, you know, have are walking or have walked this. So, yeah, you, know, you, to be able, you know, to put it in writing is a way for people to be able to, you know, be able to walk with you into healing, which is, yeah, which is yeah. really happy that you have gotten there. Thank you. I'm I'm happy too. <laughs> um, so my book is available on Amazon uh, Prime, um, Memoirs in the Moment uh, by myself, Dodosio Habi. Um, I also have a website, memoirs dot work, https memoirs m e m o i r s dot w o r k, where you can actually learn about PTSD. Uh, learn about some of the triggers that some people may have. You can also there's also an evaluation for people who think they may have something going on that's free to them. It's all online and confidential. So I really try to help people uh, move forward through the book by sharing information that I found helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. Will you take good care? Let us know when the movie's coming out. I will. Thank you. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Right. Well, thank you so much for being so available. Um, you know, and thanks welcome. once again. Congratulations on this great, great work. Thank you. I appreciate it. You have a wonderful day, and thank you for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome. You take good, take good care. Peace okay. and blessings. Okay. Uh, good morning. Is this uh, David? Is it Macy? David Massey, how are you? Good oh, morning, Massey, Anna. okay. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. How Good. are you? I was like, I was trying to think. I should have said, I should have asked somebody to like tell me how to say it. But, oh well. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's okay. All good. Yeah, All good. Yeah. So, um, you are the first African American filmmaker ever uh, Oscar nominated for Best Live Action Short Film uh, for your 1992 Last Breeze of the Summer, which you produced. Oh man, what a marvelous story! And it's like, is that Marla Gibbs? That's Marla Gibbs! Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, your latest short film—I mean, these short films—I know there are so much where people think, oh, short films easy, like 
Short film's not easy. But passage, so lovely. Oh, my goodness. It's like, are you in the Virgin Islands? Is that where you're filming? Or are you on the continent of Africa? It's no. So um, you know, thank you. We um, we obviously didn't have the budget to fly to uh, West Africa. That's the setting of the movie. So uh, we yes. had to match it. So we went to St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And... Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, we shot there for, we were there for nine days. We shot for five, five-day mm-hmm. shoot, and then we shot one day in um, Los Angeles. So uh, it was a total of six shooting days. But, yeah, short films are pretty challenging. A lot of people think that they're easy, but, you know, you have to get your story in within a short period of time and be effective. So that's the challenge because you just don't have – you know, the two hours to, to develop these backstories and these other, you know, uh, stories on these characters. So, but yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you for, what the a twist, for your compliment. Oh, what a twist, away. though. It's like, don't, I'm don't, like, I'm just going along. It's like, okay, another one of these stories, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's Middle passage, short, but passage, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. But that's why I try not to really, uh, you know, when I talk about the film, it's mm-hmm. it's to be seen, not to be talked about. And you know that oh, now definitely, after seeing it. Definitely. Because oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you really want people to just to go along for the ride. You don't want them having to, you don't mind if they uh, start predicting while they're watching the film. Because uh, I'm gonna take care of that, <laughs> but, but, but you don't want to stereotype the film beforehand, and, and a lot of people do, um, and it's 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 common, you know. I understand we're all you know movie buffs, so um, we kind of mm. say, "Oh, I've seen this before," and they haven't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's just so the characters are so awesome. Um, uh, you know, is it? Uh, you know the the warrior. Um, he's oh my goodness! You have to tell us who the cast are. I mean, they are yeah, like yeah. so gorgeous in the costumes and the setting, and you know your Portuguese folks. You know, and yeah, 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 it's, yeah. Just, I, uh, it's beautiful. They're Thank beautiful. you so much. Yeah, um, um, um. You know, I couldn't have done this film without these actors because uh, one of the challenges with this film was there's very minimal dialogue. So you really, really have to get great actors. So Noel Arthur, who plays our lead, and then Robert mm. Okumu, who plays our other warrior. Um, oh. I, I just was so blessed to have them. And as far as the costumes, you know, it takes place in 1600 West Africa. So... Mm-hmm. I went back and I asked my old friend Vernon Simon, who worked on Last Breeze of Summer, if he because oh. uh, that was a period piece too, and and yeah. I asked him. So he designed every costume in the movie. Mm. He, yeah, he's he's a designer, and uh, so he was up for the challenge, and mm-hmm. uh, I think he did a wonderful job. But you know, that's for people to say. <laughs> When they see it, um, no. And the cinematographer Keith Smith, we went to. Uh, we've been we've been working together for years. Keith is uh, a talented cinematographer. We went to the American Film Institute together back in the day, and, 
and Keith is he's lensed at least forty to fifty uh, television shows and movies. So um, it was really a labor of love because I had to. Uh, the budget wasn't there to pay him. Uh, a lot of these folks uh, what they're used to getting paid, and I just pitched them the story, and I said, let's tell the story. And uh, Wanda, I was just blessed to have a great group of people to uh, take this ride with me and tell this story. Yeah, yeah, and you know the the you know the the children, you know the warriors, children, and what he says, you know, to um, this other warrior. <laughs> and then you know, even even the fishing, like he's fishing, like with a spear, he's fishing, like what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like oh, yeah. well, my yeah. my other writer writer was Mel Donaldson, and um, mm-hmm. so when I came up with the idea, and, you know, I went to him and we started collaborating. Of course, Sandra Evers Manley was the uh, producer behind the project. And uh, she was the first one that I got on board because she said what you, you know, she had uh, helped me when I was a student at the American Film Institute years ago. And so she was instrumental in me getting my first Academy nomination. So I went back to her, uh, I think I was attending one of her festivals. She goes like several festivals in Los Angeles. Be Hurt, um, the Black Hollywood Educational Research Center. And I, she said, what are you working on? And I said, well, I'll send you the script. You tell me what you think. And she called me up. She said, David, what's the budget for this? Because uh, we need to tell this story. And so that's when um, uh, Mel and I flushed it out a little bit more, Mel Donaldson, uh, the other uh, co-writer and producer. And then I just started calling people. And uh, Raymond Fortune did my casting um, there were three characters from the United States, um, the the captain and the two African warriors. But every war, everybody else was cast in the Virgin Islands. And so I went to, oh. um, yeah, I went to a lady who runs a Caribbean community theater down there. And her name was Eileen Bishop. And uh, she's been running that theater down there for at least 25 years. And I said, uh, I need a whole lot of extras. And she <laughs> said, well, we can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, that is so cool. Wow. Yeah. 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 So um, your film is uh, an Academy Award contender for best right. live-action short film. So when – oh, that's next year where you'll find out. Wow, that'd be so cool to see you in the audience getting the award. Like, whoa, you got your speech already prepared. <laughs> uh, I, 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 Wanda, I, I appreciate your optimism, but it is going to be a tough one. Um, I'm competing against about 148 other shorts globally. Um, mm. You know, when you uh, when you're competing for an Oscar, your competition is just not regional. It's global. And so, um, you know, it's going to be... It's going to be tough. The competition is thick, but um, we just have to, you know, at the end of the day, I made this movie for people like you and in an audience. If, if, if another nomination comes along, I'll be happy and blessed. Don't get me wrong. But the movie was made 
to enlighten and to inspire and to entertain. And so far, the response has been overwhelming. And so in that sense, we've accomplished what we set out to do. And like I said, if, if some other uh, awards come along and, and we're fortunate with the long shot to get a, another Academy nomination, that'll be great. But um, I'm happy with the response we received so far. Um, so, you know, cause at the end of the day, filmmakers are storytellers. Um, yes, they're not, you, are. you know, that's right. And so I told, we told a story that I think is worth seeing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's a story that we think we know all, you know, all the different aspects of, you know, like there's not another way to tell this story. And it's like, yes, there is. <laughs> and you yeah. are telling it. <laughs> yeah, and, and I have to be honest with you. The idea was uh, I got the idea when I learned about uh, what we're talking about and obviously trying not to say so that the yeah. audience can, can enjoy it when they see it. But um, I was watching PBS, and it was um, Henry Louis Gates uh, mm-hmm. um, was doing a documentary, and he brought up the uh, the fact uh that my movie is based on and I said wow how come we don't hear enough about this so right Mel Mel Dowling yeah Mel Dowling and I started doing our research Mm. and we started gathering all of this research and we go okay all right let's let's put this on film Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because, you know, I asked this question, um, you know, that, that your film answers, and you, and I don't know, like, I just heard about one instance of this, um, you know, happening um, with these people, um, but, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, not, it wasn't even, as did. infrequent as we think. That's right, that's right. And, yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and, yeah. Uh, and that was the revelation that I got because mm-hmm. I had heard of an incident or two or even, two, but, um, you know, I, ne- I never, I, I never, I never heard enough. And so, mm-hmm. um, that's what we do as filmmakers. We tell those stories that sometimes are unique, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Just like, yeah. you know, um, your, uh, last breeze of summer, um, you know, 1992, that was a minute ago. And you've got other films between there. You know, you've got recent projects, uh, Where We're From, a feature documentary that chronicles the L.A. independent hip-hop movement in the early 90s, um, and that's being distributed by Shout Studios. Right. And you've got Not All Lost, a reality-based, celebrity-driven PBS television program, aired over 100 PBS markets. And then you've got, uh, is it Hanika? Um, Is that Hanika. Henneka. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's in post production, um, and photographed in rural Ethiopia. Like really? That's like correct. Ethiopia's in the news now. Like what? Yeah. When? How? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was there before they were in the news. I started this I was at one time I was the former a co chair of the Black Association of Documentary Filmmakers and in uh, Los Angeles that was uh, started by the late St. Clair Bourne, who was a really? mentor of mine. Oh, yeah. You, really? Clair. Oh, St. Oh, my Clair. goodness. 
yeah, St. Clair done documentaries like Paul Roberson. And, mm-hmm. Oh, he's just prolific. Uh, and uh, he asked me to co-chair the organization. I just stepped down after 15 years because um, I just got too busy to uh, do a, an effective job as a co-chair, I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I started shooting Hinaka, which is named after Dr. Hinaka, Gudata Hinaka. And he, uh, he took, it's rural Ethiopia, um, and it was a garbage dump at one time oh. and mm. he had it all removed and he built a three story hospital. Mm. And then guys really ambitious. He said, that's not enough. We have to keep it sustained. So he built a medical school. He did oh, all this. Wow. So he has a medical school right next to the hospital. Just open that just, they have their first graduates, so maybe about, yeah, just last month. And mm. so I started shooting this in 2017. And the last time I was there, a little bit of the unrest was starting to happen in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost finished. I'm almost finished. I need one more interview, and then we can go into a, to post-production. Wow, wow. So when you say rural Ethiopia, what part of Ethiopia is that? It's in the Orombo like country. It's 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 oh. like maybe four hours from Addis, which yeah, is the capital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh Negeli. Negeli is the is the the, the, the city. Um okay. but just amazing, uh, amazing. I've been there yeah. twice on medical missionaries and oh. I'm doing the filmings and uh mm-hmm. That was just a labor of love. That was that's one of those one man docks where you pick mm-hmm. up the camera, and mm-hmm. you, t- you have a chance to go, so you go, and uh, you know, and uh, you start shooting, and it's just incredible the the, the images that we that I was able to capture, and the, mm-hmm. that's a story that I'm really uh, anxious to to finish. Unfortunately, uh, while he was over there, him and his wife. Uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, his 20-year-old son, he has three sons, mm-hmm. uh, was in the States and got a stomach aneurysm and died. Mm-hmm. And while he was over there in Africa, his son uh, passed away over here. So I had to give them time to heal. And so mm-hmm. I haven't finished that last interview. But um, he told me he's ready now. So we'll we'll do that last interview and then we'll go into uh, post production and and it'll be a short documentary. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, yeah. And you got some others. You got a lot of films. Um, <laughs> uh, your past yeah. films include NAACP Image Award winning Men of Courage. I like the name of that. And our docu docu drama. Um, and then Dare to Struggle, Dare to Win, a documentary on the thirty first. December Women's Movement in Ghana, West Africa, led by the former First Lady of, of Ghana. Uh, what's her name? Nana Rollins. Yeah. Oh, for power. real, for real? Oh, my gosh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, man. Yeah, we nice. shot that. Uh, we shot that. Yeah, we traveled <laughs> about like 2,000 miles throughout Ghana. 
um, mm. filming that one. Angela Gibbs was the director, and uh, Chuck Mills was the camera person. Um, he was the one that shot Boys in the Hood. Yeah, yeah he okay. was the one that shot Boys in the Hood. But mm. uh, it was, uh, that was interesting. Mm. We, Like I said, we uh, started in uh, Accra. And we went to the Ashanti region, and then we went all the way up to uh, Tamale, which is borders oh, Togo. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Tamale. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, I've been I've been to Ghana a couple of times, and I was in Ethiopia too. So I, I know these spaces where you're, oh, where you're making, okay. you know, doing your storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! And then Fest Paco, like you were there in Burkina Faso. Oh my goodness. Um, oh, yeah. A feature documentary yeah. narrated by Danny Glover, you know, wonderful humanitarian about Africa's largest and oldest film festival. When did you do that one, Fest Paco? So Paco was in 2005. What we did, uh, we tracked uh, four filmmakers. There's a category oh. in Fest Paco that allows mm. the, uh, the the diaspora to enter because most of the categories mm. are for African filmmakers only. But it's mm-hmm. called the uh, Paul Robeson Award. And so oh. we tracked, uh, yeah, we tracked um, four filmmakers who were going there to compete with their films for the first time. One was from Cuba, two were from New York, and two were from L.A. And so mm-hmm. it, by following them, that's the A story, but the B story is Fast Paco. And then <laughs> watching, we were lucky that one of them won. Uh, um, oh, um, yeah! They did a story, a documentary on B. Richards. Um, oh, seriously? Yeah. Oh, you mean yeah. you mean you mean um, uh, a black woman speaks that film? Yes. Well, so you mean Lisa Gay? Lisa Gay was the director. She won the uh, Paul Robinson she Award. She did. That's oh, good that for her. Was, uh, she is the bomb. Cause you know, um, uh, uh, B. Richards made. Um, May 100 last year. It was her centennial birthday, July 12th, I think. Yeah, you know, I was just, I was, I was doing uh, an interview for Passage, and someone mm-hmm. asked me one of my favorite actresses, and of course mm-hmm. they were a little bit younger, and I said, "B. Richards," and they hadn't heard of her, and oh, I was like, for real? "Whoa!" <laughs> I said, "Whoa, you got to do some homework." <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah, Lisa Gay. She uh, she took it and she walked up in a stadium with <laughs> eighty thousand people, got her award. She was so proud. Yeah, yeah, great film, great film. And and I was thinking about uh, Jean Marie Tino um, out of um, I think he's out of Cameroon. Um, the director. He did a film about Fespaco. Do you know him? His work. He, no, he, I, he, I'm he, not his, familiar his, with him. Oh, you would love him. He does narrative pieces where he's reflecting on being an African uh, and wow. the colonial presence. Um, he has one called Chief, where he looks at the whole, you know, patriarchal system of chief. Right. You know, and then but then one of the ones that I really like was he's sort of looking at colonialism and how all these different European nations came into this one country, and so they have all these different languages. Because there was one country after another country after another country after another country, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. He is like, you know, yeah. 
you mm. know, the islands are like that too. The Caribbean islands, on St. Croix, they mm. they lived under yeah. seven flags, seven flags, what? that one little island, seven, seven flags, seven. Oh my goodness! Wow, yeah. how yeah. disconcerting, yeah. right? You know, Du Bois talks about two-ness, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like seven-ness. Like, right. Like, That's okay, right. Am I French today? Am I German? Like, am I? Yeah. Oh, like yeah. Yeah. English? I'm um, like what? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But they have an wow. interesting um, uh, history too, because they uh, Hamilton uh, frequent down there. Um, uh, our former president Hamilton, um, and um, but they had a uh, revolt, um, mm-hmm. and there was a young man um, by the name of uh, Butho who led a revolt. Um, Mm. Against the sugar plantations, and uh, mm. um, so they have a rich history, also. Uh, but I was just so happy that they embraced me um, and uh, welcomed us to shoot uh, Passage. Um, mm-hmm. They have a film commissioner there named Luana Wheatley, and she uh, she went out of her way to make sure that we could uh, we were okay to tell our story there. And uh, we actually uh, built the uh, huts on a farm, um, a ridge, the reef farm. And so that's when we created our village. And, uh, you know, um, and and established uh, the village life in the film there. And, uh, yeah, no, it was... uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, Wanda, I'm not sure what, which which was better, what ranks higher with Passage. Hmm. The making of a uh, Passage and the fellowship that we had with the crew or the film itself. I'm not sure what was, what, 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 was it a better experience, seeing the film or making the film. It was just so much love and respect and, um, you know, because we were dealing with our our ancestors and everybody took it seriously. Uh, And, um, you know, as you can see from what you read, I've been around. And so um, when I say this was probably one of my best experiences, um, um, that's not coming from a novice filmmaker, but it was, it was beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Everybody yeah, wants to yeah. do it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's really cool. You know, I noticed that um, you've got a lot of family, uh, like your name. You know, Massey. I, it's like right. I think I counted when I was reading the credits. Um, I'm like, so who are these people? Are they your children? Or are they your is, I mean, who who are well, these, these these massy people that are part yeah, of the production? Yeah, well, you know, when you don't have the budget, <laughs> you got to put family to work. Uh, yeah, um, my I'm so proud of my uh, my daughter. She helped me co-produce it, Tiffany uh, Massey. Mm, nice. And then uh, my other daughter came down to help. Uh, she's an engineer. She lives in Virginia, and she's into clothing. So. She came down to to to, to help oh. also, mm-hmm. and then my son worked on it also. Um, he lives on St. <laughs> Thomas, 
So, oh, yeah. that's how you is that how you went there because he's there? Uh, well, and, and he, he's on he Thomas, made a recommendation, or like, yeah, yeah, and he he helped me, uh, you know, um, you know, navigate while I was living in L. A. So yes, um, so you know, but I, I used to live in the Virgin Islands in the eighties. I, I worked radio down there. Oh yeah, oh. I worked radio and television. So. Um, it was many moons ago, but uh, I was mm-hmm. familiar with some of the. No, I'll take that back. I was only familiar with the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I was, oh, that's I was funny. Not, <laughs> <laughs> I thought to say oh, I was familiar really with funny. the locations, <laughs> but but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, uh, so yeah, no, it was. Uh, it was uh, <laughs> It was a, it was good times, but uh, um, I you know a lot of people are asking me um, what's what's next with the film, and um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm really contemplating uh, spinning it off into a series. But, oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. But I want it oh. to take place in the motherland. I, I don't I don't want it to take place uh, afterwards. I think we have enough stories on that. I think we need to know no, more about what was going on in Africa and the cultures yeah, and how they yeah. interacted. You know? mm-hmm. That would be great. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, um, you know, the, the dominant narrative, this story is not in it. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. people that think that they know, you know, like me. No. Well, like what? me too. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> well, Wanda, I did the same thing. That's why I made the movie. I was like, whoa. <laughs> but I didn't, you know, I tell you another thing about short films. I did not, what I found, and I've been judging short films for the Academy for the last 20 something years. What I found out is that you find that short films are a little more honest. Mm. Um, and the reason why is, I think one of the reasons is that there's there's no good gatekeepers mm. influencing the process. And so, you know, you can tell these stories and you don't have to wait around for four or five years for somebody to say yes. Because, you know, a lot of times the feature films require a budget. Mm-hmm. And one of the motivations of making Passage a short film was I, I just didn't want to wait around. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to, once I learned about this new information, which is not really new, it's just that it hasn't been disseminated, mm-hmm. I said, you know, I'm not going to wait around. I'm just going to call my colleagues and see if they want to help me tell this story. And like I said, once Sandra Evers Manley said, um, I'll help you, uh, financially and and give you the support you need um, um, to make the movie. I said, let's just do it, and mm-hmm. that's the beauty of short films. You can just do it, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. And and speaking of which, you know, um, you know, last breeze of summer, um, uh-huh. you know, um, you know, going way back in your 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 repertoire and your canon. Um, such a beautiful story. Oh my goodness. Um yeah, yeah. It's uh and that was well, also had, Oscar nominated, um, that particular yeah. film. 
Yeah, yeah but that you know, was, sort of like, that was it, my it, thesis it, film. Oh, get out of here, my, for real? Yeah, that was my thesis oh. film at the American Film Institute. Oh, how'd you get Marla Gibbs? <laughs> um, I mean, like, I, really? How'd you do that? I mean, you're, you're like, this is your feature, this is your well, your thesis film, okay. like. You all I'm gonna give you a, but then I, I'm going to give you a secret. It's hard negotiations and it's tough. And I went to school with Marla, what Angela Gibbs. <laughs> oh, okay. So you, yeah, we were. At you're, AFI you're a family together. friend. <laughs> no, we were at AFI together, and I said, Angela, I need you to help me cast this. And mm. I was a year ahead of her, and she said, uh-huh. Okay. And then so she found Starletta, the boy, oh. and then she yeah. found Richard Gant, Gant for me. Uh. Mm-hmm. So Starletta uh, is she the is she the girl who who um no um, Starletta's the mother. Oh the mother uh, the, oh the mother she's yeah I like her I like when she comes toe to toe with uh, the Marla Gibbs character like you know like really. Yeah. <laughs> and then Marla Gibbs has a comeback, you know, like that's right. All righty right, now. Right. <laughs> we can, yeah, we can give that film These away. two queens, yeah. right? Toe to toe. Did you recognize like, Julius? Okay. Did you recognize Julius, the pastor? The uh uh-uh. uh, I mean, I thought oh. I did, but then I wasn't sure. No, I didn't. Okay, I don't I don't know how familiar you are with 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 uh, Bond movies, uh, but in the. Uh, in the old Bond movies where, um, oh, man, why am I blanking on his name? He's the greatest Bond of them all. Um, you know who I'm talking about. Come on. Uh, the actor. The Bond actor. I can't believe I'm blanking on him. Sidney, uh, 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 Sean Connery. Oh, yeah. Sean, uh-huh. Sean Connery had one Bond movie where there was a black uh, villain who had a claw. Uh-huh. Oh, and oh, that's really? how far back Julius goes. Yeah, but um, mm. no, but Angela and I, uh, you know, she did a great job casting that. But the inspiration mm. for that was um, I had read uh, Parting the Waters by uh, mm. Taylor Branch. And yeah. um, I had, you know, in that book, you just care about all of these Heroes and sheroes and, and and people who never made the front page of the newspaper, but they had their their battles in these towns that nobody history doesn't document. Mm-hmm. And I, I I love that. And, and I said, well, it was also fascinating to me how parents could sacrifice their children. For the mm-hmm. struggle, yeah. So that for the benefit of of, of us, the collective. Because I mm-hmm. gotta tell you, Wanda, you know, I'm a father. That would have been a hard call for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I, mm-hmm. I understood why Mama didn't want to send her to that school. <laughs> oh yeah, me too, me too. But then you know, um, uh, you know, the girl, you know, she saw it as an honor. And and then when we 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 hear the father, he shares his story, and that was a wonderful line. I was looking for my notes and I can't find it. Um, that was surviving. a wonderful line. Mm-hmm. Surviving just yeah. isn't enough. Yeah. Yeah, surviving just isn't enough. You know that's that's it. Like that's that's important. Like you don't want to just just survive. You want to live. And 
And, and you know, that girl's like, I'm going to raise my hand, and I'm going to come up there, and I'm going to da-da-da-da-da. It was like, yeah. that was so old. Because yeah. how old is she? Is she 12? How old is she? Well, at, at that time, Pichu was like 14. That was her first film. Oh. And, and, and one of the okay. reasons I cast her, because that's Starletta's niece. Oh. And so I knew that with these long hours, because it was, you know, mm-hmm. it was a thesis film, that Starletta <laughs> would, would keep an eye on her, keep her going. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, she never continued in the uh, acting business. She's she's a lawyer now. Um, oh, good for and, her. That's, yeah, that's yeah. sort of fitting with her role in that film. That's true. I can see, I can see that character. Yeah, uh, her name is Lizzie. Yeah, I can see Lizzie, yeah. uh, the character, um, doing that. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. That's, that's those, Rosalie those Hooks. That's Rosalie mm-hmm. Hooks, who hand you see, who voice you hear oh. in the voiceover. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the adult Lizzie, who oh. we tried to give you the impression that she's the principal of the school now. She came back oh. and became the principal of the school. That's Oh, okay. So b- before it, it goes back into 1957 and it starts off in present day. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's her as it pans across the desk. Um, mm-hmm. And she says, I remember everything about that day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's her. That's the oh, We wow. didn't emphasize well, we have- that. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I totally missed that. I have to go. Have to go watch it again. Well, I'm gonna have to um, uh, get off because I gotta do a Zoom, as you said. Sure. Gotta go to one. But um, but I would love to have you on again. Um, you know, particularly when you know you 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 know you get the award um, of all those <laughs> international contestants. <laughs> Thank you, Juan. But <laughs> you're welcome. But um. I mean, you know, like everybody seems to know you. I mean, you're in a picture with, um, you know, uh, uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass, and like, oh, you know, like everybody knows you. Just like, you know, you like rubbing <laughs> shoulders, you know. But then, you know, saying Sinclair Bourne was your mentor. Oh, oh my yeah. God! I mean, like, whoa, whoa! Like you roll like with the echelon of of, of cinema, like, whew. Um but yeah, I want to ask you, since, you, since you're not going to be here this weekend because of um, COVID, um, and so your um, your film screening has been um, postponed, where how can people see the film passage, and how can they see some of the other work that you've done? Like, um, where where is it at? Do you have a website um, where well, people can pay a few pennies and see it, or like how do people yeah, see your film? Um, I- well, first of all, passage is going to be rescheduled in January, so we're not going to. Okay. We're going to come back to the Bay Area, and okay. uh, we're going to hold another screening. Um, you know, we just got uh, a little bit of a scare with the uh, with the new strain. Um, right. But um, I think as everything works itself out, we're going to be able to come come to the Bay Area and share passage. Um, okay. With 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 with, with your audience, so look forward okay. to that. We'll let you know because we definitely want okay. you there again, so you can experience it on the big screen. And then, uh, wow, my works are all over the place. Um, can I get back with you and just give you share some links and some websites oh, with yeah. you? Because oh, totally. it's not yeah, a home yeah, no for problem. one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But thank you so much. This has been great, Wanda. You're, you're, it's been a pleasure being on your show. 
I appreciate oh, the invitation. <laughs> oh, I'm happy you were available. And, yeah, it's been really wonderful talking film with you and storytelling and really looking forward to the film about, you know, the doctor and the hospital. That's really, really awesome. And uh, yeah. and I really want to see that Rollins film about the first lady. Oh, my goodness, because I... Uh, trying to think was he still alive um i think i got it just i think i was at something um because you know in in africa the 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 presidents they like show up with just the regular people it's not like some kind of big secret service thing it's like they want to yeah and so i was at something and they said yeah that's that's president so-and-so down there and i don't know if it was rollins or the one after him who was also wonderful but i'm like unfortunately yeah, unfortunately, he just passed uh, the Prime Minister Rollins, uh, uh, Nana Rollins, his husband. I think he just passed mm-hmm. this year. Uh, oh, so that was him in the audience where I was in Ghana. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I he didn't go to say hi, but I like, oh, he just passed. Wow, we just losing so many wonderful people. Um, so happy that, you know, um, you know, we're able to, uh, you know, they wrote a book, or there's a film, or there's both. You know, we hear, we, you know, they they live on because of the stories that people tell about them, That's which right. is really wonderful. Which is, you know, wonderful. You know that that you're making these movies and you're telling these stories um, that would disappear because you know it's like, why tell our stories? <laughs> That's <know>? right. That's. <laughs> I agree with you, one hundred percent. Right, right. Well, you take good care, and and again, wonderful okay. speaking speaking with you. And yeah, looking forward to um, continuing the conversation at another time. Be really awesome. Okay, thanks again. Appreciate you. All right, you. Okay, you yeah, you're care. welcome. You take good care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. So um, I think we're gonna end with a song. If I can figure it out quickly, uh, what song do I want to play? Um, uh, well, I played this before, and it was still nice. And we're still in autumn, so I'm going to play Autumn Leaves by uh, uh, Cannibal Elderly. It's a long one, but you'll enjoy it.